Welcome back for Season 3 of Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. With each episode, Heartbeat brings you insights into this fascinating sport. We appreciate all of our biathlon fans worldwide who have joined us the last two seasons. We're kicking off Season 3 with a familiar face at U.S. Biathlon. Sarah Studebaker-Hall is a two-time Olympian who was a standout of the U.S. Biathlon team. After retiring from the sport, she stayed in close contact, and in 2019, she took on the role of operations director for U.S. Biathlon, based at the 2002 Olympic venue in Soldier Hollow. As an athlete, Sarah stood out as a leader, and it was no surprise that longtime biathlon official Tracy Lamb identified her as someone who could give back to the sport. I'll let Sarah tell that story, but this past spring, Sarah Studebaker-Hall became the first U.S. woman to earn her IBU Technical Delegate Certification and one of only a handful of Americans to achieve that distinction. Sarah is a strong advocate for gender equality in sport and she is also beginning to rise up within the IBU. In this episode of Heartbeat, Sarah tells her story of getting started at an officials clinic and the pathway to her becoming a TD. Now let's welcome IBU Technical Delegate, Sarah Studebaker-Hall to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon Podcast. And welcome, everyone, to Heartbeat. We're coming to you today from the gorgeous Heber Valley, home of Soldier Hollow, the 2002 Olympic venue and great, great biathlon venue. With us here today, Sarah Studebaker-Hall. Sarah, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be here. Sarah, you were one of our guests in year one of Heartbeat two years ago, uh, just getting your feet wet with the new job. Uh, I think we were in the early days of COVID, so things are a lot different today, aren't they? Yeah, for sure. I think I came to you from that one from a closet uh, during COVID, trying to find a quiet spot. So this is much nicer. So, I mean, just in general, how have things been going in your role? We're going to talk very specifically about you as a competition official, but just in your day-to-day role with U.S. Biathlon, how's this last two years been for you? It's been great. Um, I I love working with U.S. Biathlon. You know, definitely biathlon is my passion, and I'm so excited to be part of this organization. We have such a great staff, great athletes, great board. Our donors are amazing. You know, I get to work with our members and our donors on a regular basis, and it's just really great great to to be around people who are so excited about biathlon. Yeah, it really is. I mean, that's been my experience too over the last few years. It it really is a family. Uh, people are totally passionate about it. You know, and, and being right here in the Heber Valley, this community here has also really been supportive of biathlon and all the sports out at Soldier Hollow. Yeah, it's been so awesome to see with the World Cup in 2019. Obviously, it was just huge for the venue and for the Valley. But since then, hosting the Youth and Junior World Championships here, seeing the community come out, even with COVID and everything else that was going on, um, just the support there was awesome. And it was such a good event, I think, for the for the biathlon world, but also for the Heber community. Yeah, it really was. And you've got another big event coming up this year, too. Yeah, so we have a Para World Cup coming up, which I'm a little bit less involved in, but it's going to be really super to bring the Para community back to Heber and to Soldier Hollow. And then in 2024, we have another World Cup coming back. 
Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. You know, we we had such a great experience last time around here, and it's nice to see it cycle back to the USA. We're going to talk about your accomplishment in achieving TD status within the IBU, the uh, first American woman to to do so. We're going to talk about that as we move along, but I want to go back and look at your career and how you got started in the sport. You're a native of Idaho. You found the sport of cross-country skiing, and kind of take us from there as to how you got into sport and how you moved into biathlon? Yeah. So I was a cross-country skier. You know, my family skied from a young age and I found uh, cross-country ski racing when I was about 12 years old and uh, really fell in love with it. Uh, Did a, you know, joined our local Nordic team, the Bogus Basin Nordic team. And in 1998 saw on the Olympics, a short little clip of biathlon and just, I think like many people, very intrigued, thought it looked so super cool. Um, you know, obviously it was cross-country skiing, but what were these people doing skiing around with rifles on their back? And I was lucky enough to have a coach uh, on the Bogus team who had done biathlon, who had coached biathlon. So just started asking him a ton of questions and kind of ended up finding a camp from from there. So went to Lake Placid and... You know, I guess kind of the rest is history. <laughs> a little bit of involvement when I was in high school, trying to find biathlon races here and there. Went to college, skied in college, really focused on cross-country skiing at Dartmouth, and then joined the U.S. biathlon development team after I graduated. And from there, went to two Olympics and had a you know good career, seven years on the national team. And uh, yeah, it was just amazing. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky to have kind of been in the place that I was uh, at the time. <laughs> One of the things I've found fascinating about biathlon is that uh, typically, you know, your pathway is not unusual at all. People find cross-country skiing and they add uh, marksmanship uh, to it. How much of a challenge was it for you when you you had your cross-country skills down pretty well? How was it to add that component of the marksmanship aspect of biathlon? Yeah, you know, um, I was really lucky to have really good shooting coaches from the very beginning. So my coach, Eric Reynolds in Boise, was really awesome at getting myself and another teammate involved and and showing us the ropes of the shooting side of biathlon. And I think I took to it relatively naturally. So I was always a pretty good shooter throughout my career. But, you know, it's it does take some time. And I had you know, all through high school doing a little bit of biathlon, you know, keeping touch with it, doing that development piece. And then, you know, so when I went to the national team after graduating from college, I already had a lot of that background. So it didn't take me quite as long to take that step up to the to the next level. You know, definitely some very focused work that needed to happen. Um, I think that it's it's easy to think that, oh, it's just shooting, you just add it in, but it's definitely a whole extra component that you have to learn and learn how to do it with skiing. So it does take a little bit of time for sure. Yeah, well, it's it's just fascinating to see. And I think that's what makes biathlon the sport that it is, that you have these two completely polar opposite activities that you need to be good at. You know, you need to be able to get out there and really aerobically tackle that course. And then you've got to bring that heart rate down in order to shoot accurately. Yeah. You know, it's, it's my favorite part of, of biathlon is talking about that, you know, they're total opposite things. Um, And, and, you know, and I think that 
the the athletes will tell you too that their heart rates don't come down too much, you know, and it's you're really just learning to shoot with a super high heart rate, and you know, so that makes it very different from precision shooting. So you know, we've had some some really great social media back and forths with some of the precision shooters on uh, as part of USA Shooting, and you know, it's it's easy to think that we're very similar sports, but we're not the same, you know, hardly at all. They have to really hit the center of the target, you know, every single time, be so still, have such perfect position. And for us, a hit is a hit and you got to do it fast. And so it's just, it's, I have great respect for the the marksmen and, you know, USA shooting and they're amazing, but we are like definitely not, <laughs> not the same sports. <laughs> you know, I would imagine that when those guys you're talking to, they look at what you're doing when you've gone out and just done a couple K leg at total VO max and you come in to shoot, they're thinking you guys are crazy. We are a little bit crazy. That is true. And, um, you know, I think it's great to be able to have that respect for other sports, you know, recognizing like, wow, that is just a totally different sport and I could never do that. You know, and I, I think that's, um, it's a really cool thing that our movement is getting more and more. And especially, you know, as, uh, there's a little more centralization with athletes training in specific places and they get experience and get exposure to other sports and they get to, to see like, oh, okay, that's just a different sport. And I could never do that. That's super hard. I do this other super hard thing over here. Yeah, nothing wrong to look at another sport and say, "Boy, I don't think I don't think I can do that." Yeah. So, when when you were a competitor, uh, you I'm sure are dealing with uh, officials and chiefs of race and finish referees and 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 the like. Um, did you ever think in your mind that maybe that's where you were going to gravitate to, and that maybe someday you were going to be the one running that competition? You know, I really didn't. Um, I always really enjoyed seeing some of our American officials at World Cups and IBU Cups. So, you know, we had Matt Sebastianski, Tracy Lamb, obviously Max Cobb, Max Sanger were uh, a really regular part of the World Cup with, you know, with IBU and their officiating duties. So it was really, it was always really neat to see them at races and just like, oh, you know, hey, a little piece of home and nice to see them. And um, that connection was always great, but I never thought about how I would get there or if I, you know, if I wanted to do that. It didn't seem like something that was very clear in that pathway to me. So um, when I retired as an athlete, uh, Tracy Lamb actually reached out to me and was like, hey, I think you should take my officiating course and, you know, you should get involved so that you can really learn the rules. You know the rules, obviously, from com competing, but learn them from a different side. And, uh, you know, this will help you be a better coach and also help the races. You know, at that time we were up in Anchorage and really help run races well up there. So it's like, okay, that sounds good. And I started down this pathway and kind of unbeknownst to me at the time, Tracy had this grand plan to get me through my uh, level one, two in the US and be able to take my international referee uh, test in a few years and then eventually become a TD. So it was all, I think it's all Tracy's fault, honestly. <laughs> have you ever talked to Tracy to ask him, hey, when did you start this plan? You know? <laughs> I have. Yeah. And he, right from the, from the minute he had me identified uh, as someone he could get to. So he recently timed out, aged out of, um, of being a technical delegate for IBU. So he knew that we would, the U.S. would need a replacement. So he thought, all right, I've got enough time to get her trained up and uh, get her down. So 
<laughs> here I am, Tracy's replacement. I don't know if his shoes can ever really be filled, but um, it's it's nice to follow in those footsteps for sure. You know, we oftentimes don't think about the role that mentors play. Here we're talking about uh, officiating. It could be athletics, coaching, or, or whatever, but mentors are vital to keep a sport moving. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've been really lucky in my career to have mentors kind of in in lots of different areas in coaching and in officiating and as an athlete as well. And and Tracy has really been that for sure for me. And, you know, as him along with Max really identifying the opportunities for me to be able to take my technical delegate test and then also now to run for a position on the technical committee with IBU are things that I didn't even know existed, you know, even five years ago, I wasn't aware of. And for them to lay out that pathway for me and help me through each step of that, of that path and, you know, present to me the opportunities, hey, you should really do this. Hey, you should really think about this was, I I definitely wouldn't be here with, without their, their guidance for sure. Let's talk about the timeline to give folks a sense of what it does take to reach this level. And not everyone listening to this is going to make it to the TD level, but you're going to want to progress somewhere along the path. But what was the chronology from the time that Tracy first got you involved in his workshop? And what were the next steps that you undertook? You covered some of them earlier, but give us a little walkthrough to give folks a sense of how long this takes. Yeah, it takes a little while. And one of the things we're trying to do at US Bathlon is to make it a little bit more clear how someone would go from you know just being involved in biathlon or not even being involved in biathlon to a, you know into a, the officiating pathway. So for for myself, what uh, I took the uh, Tracy's level one to uh, officials course in 2014, basically right after I retired from competing. The IBU allows national federations to put whatever kind of training they want uh, for their domestic level officials. So for us, those are our domestic level officials, level one, two. And it's just one course. You go through both level one and level two at the same time. You have a little test at the end, but, you know, people like Tracy Lamb, uh, Sean Robeson, they're amazing teachers. And so they make the course really fun and it's really interactive. And uh, after you've passed that, you spend two to three years as an official. So getting experience in the field, you know, doing some races, being able to, you know, help uh, as an official in, uh, you know, different areas. And then at that point, you would be eligible to apply to take your international referee exam. So that's a exam that's administered by the International Biathlon Union. You have to apply basically to U.S. Biathlon. So we're actually going to be running an international referee exam this fall. And we've put out a call to the people that we know that have the level one, two officials training and have had it for long enough that they're eligible. So those people um, who are interested have agreed to take the exam and they'll come. Um, it's, you know, currently it's an in-person exam. So we have, I think, a couple of testing locations, one here in Utah and one in Lake Placid. So those people will go through that uh, exam, one day exam process. And at that point, then you need to spend four years as an international referee. So as an international referee, it means that you could be a chief of something, you know, chief of range, chief of competition, those sorts of things at an IBU event. So for me, I got that in 2019, right before our World Cup here, and was then able to be the assistant chief of competition to Tracy. So a bunch of our uh, officials at that event just took their international referee exam right before that event so that they could be, you know, chief of timing, chief of course, uh, and the like. 
And um, so it's really those big events that have uh, been a catalyst for us to really revamp this program and having more events in the U.S. and realizing we really need a lot more officials to be able to run them. So uh, once I took that exam um, and passed, then uh, it took, you know, for me, it was three years I was able to take my technical delegate exam. And the reason was that IBU is really needing more new technical delegates. So they were really looking for people who either had that four years of requisite experience or had some other kind of background that meant that they were experienced. So for me, my athletic background, my coaching background um, meant that I was eligible to take that exam. And that's a two-day exam. Um, I went over to Salzburg. You take a written test. Um, you know, you have a little conference beforehand with some of the current technical delegates. They talk about some of the new rules and some of the things you can expect as a technical delegate. And uh, so you take a written exam and then you do an oral exam. Um, you know, just kind of they present some uh, hypothetical situations to you and you have to talk about what you would do. And um, it's definitely a little bit stressful, but it was uh, it was a cool process. Cool. L- let's go back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, once you've taken that first workshop to get started, what are some of the typical roles you would fulfill at races in the coming season? Yeah. So anyone who takes our level one, two officials clinic, you know, first of all, they're going to be able to be better volunteers. So whatever role they take um, in a race, or even if it's a time trial, a local competition, they are going to have a better understanding of the rules and what's really important to run really good races. And, you know, that's obviously very different for a World Cup where we have very strict rules and things that have to be followed, protocols, and for a local time trial or kids race where, you know, things aren't there, you know, the point is to get more kids involved. The kid point is for it to be safe and for it to be fun, and making sure that uh, that everyone involved can you know have the skills to pull that kind of a race off. So, you know, there's not, I would say, a specific set of of. Uh, roles that is open to you now, but you could be uh, with a level one, two officials um, certification. You, it does make it more uh, more likely that you'd be asked to be an official at like a national championships or junior world trials for us. So any domestic level event, we do want our officials to have that basic level of training, that level one, two. I would imagine that as you you look at events taking place all over the country, uh, we're here today in the Heber Valley, Lake Placid, another area, uh, that those regions really need to have a lot of people to volunteer their time and to learn these skills and to be a part of those competitions held there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it takes so many people to run a really big biathlon race. So, you know, for example, for us, just on the range at a World Cup event, we have to have 60 people just on the range. And so that's not even talking about start and finish. That's not even the course. That's, you know, not any of the extraneous people that make the event happen. You need really, you know, several hundred people every day to make a World Cup, Junior Worlds, even an IBU Cup happen. You know, when we're talking about our national championships, we can get by with fewer people, but those higher level events and as venues in the U.S. start to bid for those big events, you know, Soldier Hollow obviously has a World Cup coming up and other venues are probably coming online with the ability to bid for some of those events. So we're going to need more people that are qualified. 
Yeah. Let's now let's go to the other end of the spectrum. You achieved your TD status and how give give us a sense of how many people have accomplished that here in America and where do you stand among them? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm the first uh, woman from the U.S. to achieve my technical delegate license, which is pretty cool. Um, and I think I'm I'm the seventh or eighth person uh, American that uh, has an IBU technical delegate license. So there's not so many of us. You know, I think there's only about 70 licensed technical delegates worldwide. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a relatively small group, but uh, as IBU has more and more events, they're really looking to grow that pool of people because they need officials at each of their events. And, you know, there's only, it's a, it's a volunteer role. So, you know, it's great. You get to go uh, travel to some neat locations and and help these races go off well, but uh, it is time, time consuming and people have to take, you know, time off of their normal jobs to be able to do that. I'm lucky enough to be in the biathlon world already with my normal job. So, you know, it's relatively understanding <laughs> to take time away, but it's, uh, you know, there's, there's a need for sure. Have you received your assignments for the coming winter yet? Yeah, I have. So I'm going to be a start-finish referee for two IBU Cups. I'll be at the first IBU Cup in Norway in Shushan, and then I'll also get to be at the IBU Cup in Canmore at the end of the season. So I'm really excited for that to be relatively close to home. Cool. Do you have any other officiating assignments other than that during the course of the season coming up? I do. So I've um, also been assigned through our through U.S. Biathlon to officiate at the World University Games. So I will be the referee on the shooting range for those for those uh, races. Cool. So if someone wants to get into this, and and as we talked about, it's it's really essential. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably should think about this because we really do need your help out there. But what are the steps? How can people, and particularly how can other women, uh, get involved in this and start down the same pathway you've been down? Yeah, so it's it's a really good timing. You know, we did an officials clinic this spring in Lake Placid. We are doing another one in Utah in October. So in conjunction with the shoots and ski and the biathlon and cross country races that are going to be happening there. So it's you know the week of October 10th. I think that the officials clinic is October 12th and 13th or 13th and 14th somewhere in there. But it's you know all on our website. And so taking that level one two uh, clinic is. Is really the first step. And, you know, officiating is, I, I love it. It's really fun because you are surrounded by a bunch of people who are really excited about the sport. And our whole job is to make sure that the races go well for the athletes. So you're 100% there for the athletes to make sure that those races go well, to make sure that everything is safe, make sure everything is fair and make sure that it's fun. I have just really enjoyed staying involved with the sport through officiating and through the people that you get to meet with. And and it's a lot of work for sure, especially the bigger events. You know, we're very busy from morning till evening, but it's so fun. We've had such a great time and the people that are involved in biathlon, you know, I mean, you know, we're such a great community. It's it's just some of the most exhausting and yet best times I've had (laughs) in the last few years. 
Yeah, it, 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 it really is. And just to further that, what steps has U.S. Biathlon and also the IBU taken to encourage more women to get into officiating? Yeah, so, you know, we have recognized that women in coaching and women officiating is really an area where we need to improve and we can improve with, you know, some very easy steps. So we applied this spring for some grant funding from IBU to fund more women to help with coaching um, at some of our events and also to help get more women involved in officiating. So we have a matching grant from IBU, which means U.S. Biathlon's putting in half the money, IBU's putting in half the money, but we've been able to give some stipends to women to come and help coach and also to give some grants to offset travel costs for women to come to our officials clinic. So we actually just awarded three grants for this October officials clinic, and we anticipate being able to do that again in the spring. So we're already talking about doing an officials clinic again in May somewhere um, and obviously doing some more stuff to increase women uh, in being involved. And one of the really cool things that we're going to do in Utah at the Shoots and Ski Festivals, we're going to have a gathering for women in biathlon. So whether you're an athlete, a coach, an official, or someone who might want to be involved in a coaching or officiating a role in the future. We're going to have a gathering um, in, uh, I think it's the a Wednesday evening and um, get together and, and talk about our, you know, how to get more women involved and just kind of have a little bit of a social uh, side to what we're doing with uh, with women in officiating and women in coaching. Because, you know, biathlon is a relatively male-dominated sport. And so the more women that we can get involved and the more of a community we can create as a group of women, I think the more women will be able to see themselves in coaching and officiating roles in the future. Is this happening in other countries as well? And is the IBU progressive in trying to enhance this in other nations? Yeah, IBU is definitely leading the charge in terms of gender equity and trying to make sure that there are more women involved. Uh, you know, One of the things that is really great already with IBU is that our prize money is the same, has been the same for many years between women's biathlon and men's biathlon. We also have you know the same quota spots. So there's you know just as many women competing or able to compete as men in our World Cups and IBU Cups. And as far as officiating goes, you know, the technical delegate uh, exam that I took, there were eight women of the 10 people that took the test. And so IBU has definitely uh, identified that there need to be more women involved. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that I'm running for a seat uh, on the technical committee with IBU. Uh, two women will be elected to that. So they've implemented some quotas and there's, you know, three women running. And uh, also for the executive board, I believe there's eight women running for two spots. You know, obviously there could fill more than two spots, which would be amazing. Um, but it's really clear that IBU is um, making this a priority to have more women involved and that women are answering the call. So, you know, they have put it out there and a lot of countries are putting women forward, very qualified women too, I might add. I think that it's it's really cool to see that even the implementation of quotas in terms of the committees at the IBU level has not diminished the quality of the candidates. What's the timeline on that committee being named? Yeah, so the election uh, will happen um, September 
15th, 16th. Uh, so it's at IBU Congress, which is uh, coming right up. Yeah, actually, you're going to that, right? I am, yeah. So I'll go over to Salzburg, uh, and um, yeah, the election takes place over there. Yeah, and we're, with this this podcast being recorded just a little bit before that, so probably we'll be launching right around that time. Uh, it's just one philosophical thing, you know, I, I, I think it would be nice that we weren't doing podcasts that say, hey, women have achieved this, but uh, women... Need this, this rally needs to take place. You know, you're really at the forefront of this right now, and you have the opportunity to impact things not just in this country but internationally. Do you see yourself as a bit of a pioneer? Is this something that you really want to take on to really help with gender equity and to give women a stronger place in the sport? Yeah, for sure. And you know, the the thing is, is is it also. I don't feel, I, I feel very supported in this. You know, it's not like it's an uphill battle. Like I said, IBU is doing a lot of great work. Obviously, you know, my coworkers, Max, you know, everyone at US Biathlon is very supportive of this initiative. And it's really neat to see, I mean, looking even at the uh, officials assignments for IBU events this year, I don't ever remember during my career seeing a woman in an officiating role. And, you know, maybe there were one or two that I just didn't notice, but I don't remember seeing it. And both of the events that I'm assigned to, there's going to be two of us at those events officiating. And it's so important for women to see other women at races in high up roles. And I, I'm so excited to be part of that and to, you know, to uh, be able to kind of, I guess, pioneer that, you know, especially for the U S and, and, you know, I'm definitely, I'm the first, but I am sure I'm not the last and hopefully the next group is coming right on my heels and, and there'll be a whole bunch of us. Well, it's been great to watch uh, what you've been able to do, not just as an athlete, but when you've gotten into the world professionally, uh, working for U.S. Biathlon, and now in this role as a technical delegate. So thank you for that pioneering effort. We're going to move on and close things out now with our on-target segment. I've got a few just kind of favorite thing questions. And like I do with everyone, I have to go back. And now that you've served time as an athlete, as a uh, uh, leader with U.S. Biathlon, and also as an official, um, favorite race venue in the world? <laughs> You know, I remember you asking me this last time, and uh, I, I, I have kind of two answers now. I think I, I initially said uh, Poke Luca was my favorite place to race, but I have to say Soldier Hollow is amazing. Um, it's just been so fun to be able to be an official here and see the races happen in my backyard. So. You know, one of the things that I really love about this venue is that you can see the whole venue. You really can. It's amazing. It's I, I, I'm assuming it's a great place to race a World Cup. I've not had the opportunity, but it's definitely a great place to spectate and a uh, you know, really, really great place to officiate. Have you been to Shushon yet, though? I have not. I'm super excited. So, you know, we do this podcast again in a couple of years. Maybe I'll have a different answer. Shushan is just a, a, a wonderful place. And of course, Norway, just with the Nordic roots there, it's just a, a great place to be. Um, if, if you look back in your career as an athlete, this might be a tricky one now that you're a, you're a technical delegate and you're, you're a race official, but do you look back in anything in your career and you, you say, geez, I wish I would have known about that rule? Um. Oh man, I I the, nothing comes to mind, but I have been telling a story. I have this uh, very distinct memory of in Antolts doing a relay, and in Antolts, um, you you have to go a little ways from where you get ready, where you get your transponders to where you get the tag off. So I was you know running from where I dropped my clothes to go get the tag, and I you know got my skis on, jumped out into the tag zone, and got tagged right away, which is 
cutting it a little bit close for everyone involved. And, but it was fine. I got tagged. It was, you know, everything went fine. And, um, I finished the race. I tagged off to the next person and I, uh, came out of the, the mix zone and the official came up to me and said, Hey, don't do that ever again. And I was like, I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He's like, you just, you cut it too close. Don't do that. And I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I, I know I cut it too close. Thank you. I won't do it again. And now being an official, I know what it's like to be calling for someone's name, calling their number. Where are they? Their person is coming and you're super stressed out and there's nothing that you can do about it. And I just can imagine the stress that I put this official through (laughs) the lesson that he taught me at that moment. So, um, (laughs) yes, that is one thing that I have learned. (laughs) That, that That is really a perfect story. Since you've been a race official, can you look back at any particular call you've had to made or maybe a rules interpretation you'd have to, uh, uh, to deal with during a competition? Yeah. So, um, you know, at youth and junior world championships, obviously it's a really unique situation because it's a really long event, you know, and a world cup is three, four days, three races. Oh, it's, it's over and they're gone. Uh, the youth and junior world championships is almost two weeks long. It's a lot of racing. It's a lot of events. It's a bunch of kids. A lot of them, it's their first big international experience. So a lot of things can go wrong. Um, and we did have to disqualify someone in the sprint race, which is a super unfortunate because they don't then get to race the pursuit. And it was a safety infraction. And so it was just a really, really tough call, but having the rules and the way that IBU, you know, lays out, especially their safety rules, there's just no room for, you know, there's no wiggle room. And so we had to do it. And, and I was, I was a little bit like, it's just such a bummer. We've had to do that. And, and the technical delegate came up to me and he said, you know, he won't ever do it again. And if you're going to learn a lesson, when you're a junior is a really good time to learn the lesson. And I really appreciated that feedback because I was feeling really bad that this person wasn't going to get to race the next day. But, you know, he's right. That person will never make that safety infraction again. And, you know, hopefully we helped them learn a lesson. And it's a little bit of a tough one to learn for sure. But, uh, you know, I I think having that feedback and and that, you know, reiteration of what our role as officials is, is, you know, it's not just to implement the rules, but also to create learning opportunities. And so that was a really, a really good experience for, for me and a good reminder. Kind of on that same vein and looking back to that event, and this isn't so much an officiating thing, but it was a challenging time for the world. Uh, we had the war that had broken out in Ukraine and the IBU, uh, I mean, every day, everyone in sport was facing, what do we do with Russia? What do we do with Belarus? And uh, you faced that head on with this event and you had to make dynamic changes during the event. Uh, were you, you were a part of those decisions. And uh, can you kind of talk us through maybe behind that? And I, I know that was a difficult time. Yeah, it was really, it was really, really challenging. And especially when you're dealing with people. So what the timeline of what had happened was the Russian team had arrived and then the invasion of Ukraine happened. So we had Russian athletes, you know, ages 16 to 19 on the ground and their coaches and this crazy worldwide situation happening. And, you know, it was, it was really hard. We were really looking to IBU for their guidance and, and what they wanted to do following their lead. But, um, you know, in the end, the first thing that happened was that we took their flag down and uh, took all of their, you know, they weren't allowed to have their flag up if they were to get on the podium and we weren't going to play their anthem. And then, you know, the very last race, they actually weren't even able to compete, which was, Definitely challenging because when you're looking at 
people, you know, specific people and especially kids who have come over to compete in sport, um, you know, then the the impacts that choices that were made essentially for them about their country. Um, it was it was really hard. And, and it was, you know, I think the race director had a really good relationship with the Russian coach and so was able to have really good conversations about what decisions were being made and why. And he was very understanding and, you know, was very hopeful that uh, in future years that the Russian team would be able to to return. So, you know, I don't know how that will turn out for this year for IBU. And, um, but it was definitely very, a very weird element of everything else that was going on and (laughs) certainly stressful. (laughs) So, well, it, it, it is a part of sport. It's a sad part of it. I know that all of us in sport have grappled with this uh, over the last year. Uh, Just one last thing on a, on a positive note, looking back over your career as an athlete, uh, as an official, as uh, a member of the leadership of us biathlon, What's one really fun memory that sticks with you from your career so far? Oh, uh, yeah. So I'm going to have to give you two because I'm going to have to give you one as an athlete and one as a, an official. But um, as an athlete, I had the opportunity to uh, be bib number one in the Vancouver Olympics. And that still remains just such a special experience to be able to take off, you know, not only in front of a semi-home crowd in Canada, but also to start the race off and everyone cheering for me and, uh, you know, going on to have a have a, have a decent race that day. But um, just that experience of, of standing first one in the game and starting the the Olympic race was was really cool. Um, And from an officiating standpoint, we had a really cool situation here in at Soldier Hollow. The last couple of races, we our mascot has become this dinosaur who runs along on the trails, and we um, brought a couple of kids. So it was actually some the sons of one of our officials uh, came and to march the people over from the clothing drop area to the mass start for the relays. We had not only our large dinosaur, but some little kids in dinosaur suits that would take all of the athletes over to their start positions. And it was just such a neat experience. And I think it, you know, gave the athletes a little bit of a smile before starting off on their big competition and was a really neat, neat experience for us. What a fun story. Sarah Studebaker Hall, thank you so much for joining us on Heartbeat. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Sarah has been a great addition to the U.S. Biathlon family, a familiar face trackside and a welcoming leader for U.S. biathletes. We hope you're enjoying Heartbeat as we tell the stories of America's biathletes. You can help us by sharing the link to your social media channels and also telling your friends to listen. Remember to subscribe to Heartbeat to get every episode delivered directly to you and leave a review if you can. I'm your host, Tom Kelly, and thank you for listening to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon Podcast.